Welcome to Building Sustainably, The Road to Net Zero, a podcast by RPS. Achieving net zero requires a transformational shift in the way we plan, design, and build. But as the 2050 target edges closer, significant challenges lie ahead. In this podcast series, we aim to tackle the key issues head on. We'll explore real life case studies and provide actionable advice on how to define, design, and manage net zero projects and programs. In this series, we focus on decarbonization challenge facing owners and operators of large property estates, a challenge compounded by aging infrastructure, limited funding, and competing pressures. Here to make the complex easy, I'm your host, Chris Lavery. A green campaigner for over 30 years, Maggie Bozenkett is as passionate as anyone will speak to on this podcast about climate change. Since 1995, she's been the Low Carbon Economic Development Manager for Durham County Council, supporting local, national and international partnership initiatives, and has delivered renewable energy and energy efficiency projects across the council's land and buildings. An environmental powerhouse, Maggie's a well-respected figure who's established the Regional Energy Officers Group and the Climate Emergency Strategic Board and is a long-standing and active member of the Durham Energy Institute's Advisory Board, DEI. The link she's established between the DEI and Durham County Council were part of the reason she received an honorary Doctor of Science degree from Durham University this year. We can't wait to speak with Maggie to hear the advice she has for those looking for a clearer path to net zero carbon. It's a pleasure to have us with you, Maggie. Do you want to begin by sharing the interesting and unorthodox story of how you got started with the Council? Well, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So back in the mid-1980s, I got interested in science, which I'd failed at, at an all-girls school. And I started reading about science in The New Scientist. And as I did so, of course, I found out about the environmental challenges that we were facing, climate change, ozone depletion, loss of rainforest, all of that. And I got really, really, really scared. And at that time, it didn't seem like anybody else was that bothered. So somehow, by default, because this wasn't what person I thought I was, I ended up setting up a campaign group. I invited lots of people to come and talk about it because I thought some of them would pick it up and do something. And when we got to the actual meeting, they all kind of looked to me to lead it. I'm like, okay, right. And somehow I ended up running this big campaign group called Darlington Environmental Watch because Darlington was where I was based then. And we campaigned on a whole range of local issues and national issues. And we caused a bit of a stir. And one of the biggest issues we were very concerned about was a road which the county council, Durham County Council, was planning to build right across the middle of Darlington to increase road traffic to the airport, to industrial sites, but right through the middle of the town. We thought it was appalling, especially as it was on the site of the world's first steam railway, passenger steam railway, the Stockton Darlington Railway. So we campaigned against this and it ended up there was a public inquiry for a particular compulsory purchase. And I went along representing our group to say, this road must not go ahead. It's shocking. It's appalling. And the county council put up a director. And it was all very formal, with big dusty piles of books and people looking very worried, running in and out, and a formal inspector, planning inspector, and all of that. The county councils and director sort of tried to defend what they'd done. And I knew that on a particular issue, which was environmental impact assessment, they hadn't met what they were supposed to do. So I gave this guy a really hard time. 
I kept cross-examining, cross-examining. And eventually the inspector said, you have made your point. Let's just take the pressure off and, and let him sit down. The next time I met that director <laughs> was across the table when he interviewed me for this job. <laughs> so that was quite a hilarious situation. And the amazing thing is that he gave me the job. His director nearly sacked him for it because he was very, very angry. But the David was, he actually said he had valued everything I said. He completely agreed with me because he was the former representative of the county council. He couldn't say that. And he thought I'd be exactly the person to lead the team. And that was in 1995 that I started working here a few years after Gray. Well, do you know what? Obviously, they are very good judges of character and um, knowledge as well, Maggie, because you've been there wow. for nearly 30 years. So Madness. could you tell us what it means then to lead the sustainability, carbon and climate change team? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's evolved over the years. It started very small. But I think where we are now is the most interesting. We're a team of about 25 people working for one of the biggest councils in the country, huge portfolio of 850 buildings, God knows how much land. And we basically, we're called the Low Carbon Economy Team. So we're recognising that carbon is an economic issue, not just a sort of social or we used to be called green tree huggers by one by one director, not the one I was talking about earlier. So we are responsible for energy management, energy and water management for the council, renewable energy generation, retrofit of buildings, etc. for the council, all of which is contributing towards trying to hit net zero for Durham County Council by 2030. And we have declared a climate emergency. The other side of that is that the county council's emissions are only 4% of the full emissions from County Durham, again, very big, runs from the coast over to the Pennines, from Northumberland down to Yorkshire, very big area. And we are aiming to hit net zero for County Durham by 2045. Of course, we've got far less power there because there's only the council's emissions, to a degree, we have some control over the county's emissions. It's about partnerships and leadership. We're answerable to councillors, the elected representatives of the public, Answerable, therefore, to the public and to the executive of the council. And we need to work with a lot of other teams, some of which are fantastic friends and colleagues, some of which cause us problems. So, big organisation, like any other big organisation, we're sort of turning an oil tanker and it has started to turn. And I'm very, very lucky in that the political commitment and the high level commitment in the council is fantastic to this. It wasn't me that asked to declare a climate emergency. It was the councillors who told me we were going to. And that's the first I knew of it was when I was told we were declaring one. So we've got a lot of people on board supporting us. But yeah, fantastic team. They know far more than I do. I just ride on the back of their work. I don't think that's true, actually, Maggie. But anyway, nonetheless, you're obviously making inroads and you're making a good impression. And that's been recognised. UK government's Department for Business, Energy, Industrial Strategy has recognised you as nationally leading in the quest for net zero carbon. So, as you've said, it's obviously a very busy team. Could you give us an idea of some of the initiatives you're working on? Yes, of course. I mean, I suppose the overarching initiative is the development, the writing and the implementation, this is the important bit, of the Climate Emergency Response Plan, CERP for short, which we wrote in response, declaring a climate emergency. And the first thing we did was to go and collect all the data, both for the council and for the county. So that was a huge task. And then to try and work out what reaching net zero would look like, what we'd need to do, and what the sort of car- the sectors are where we need to work. 
And obviously there's two key chapters for that. One is the council chapter and one is the county chapter. And so for the council, we are, as I say, we're energy management is key. We're managing our energy and water consumption across gas, electric and various other fuels. We're trying to install renewable energy wherever we can. We're trying to retrofit our buildings. And that's a huge area in itself. But basically trying to take the council's emissions down. Obviously, we're also looking at offsetting and what does that look like. For the county-wide team, we've got a very big initiative on electric vehicle infrastructure, the charging infrastructure. So I think we are one of the sort of national leaders on that. We've already installed about 150 to 200 charge points across the county, rural counties, a lot of very deprived areas. So it's quite a challenge to do this and to get it right and to bring in the issues of equity, people who can't afford an electric vehicle at the moment, but will therefore never be able to get one because there's no charging infrastructure as well. Also, we have a lot of areas, ex-mining communities, long rows of terraced houses that open straight onto the front street so that you can't have home energy charging. And we're having to explore alternatives to that massively, massively complex task. And we've just become one of the national pilots from the Office of Zero Emission Vehicles to be running the pilot for what's called Levi, which will be, I think, £450 million scheme that will launch next year. But there are nine pilots exploring how to install these charge points. We've got what we think is quite an innovative approach. So we've got, uh, we've been given one quarter million and I think it's a 2.1 million project and it may get a lot bigger than that. Actually, we may do more. So that's very exciting. Another key sector is schools. And we've got a team that work in about 240 schools across the county, working with everybody from the head teacher, the business manager, the caretaker, the parents, but of course, primarily the kids to raise their awareness of climate change and energy bringing in things like lesson plans, but also to review the buildings and see what we can do in terms of retrofit. Very challenging because of the funding funding mechanism. And we've even done international COP events with schools across the world. So some quite interesting stuff there. We're looking at food and agriculture at the moment. That's a new thing, regenerative agriculture, how that fits with nutrient neutrality, river water quality, how we can use land to help store carbon and peatland protection particularly very important so that's an interesting one that we're working on at the moment business energy efficiency we have some very big businesses in the county that are brilliant i mean lanchester wines are actually carbon negative already so big shout out to them but we've also got something like fourteen thousand small and medium enterprises smes for many of them the energy costs in the recent months have been literally make or break and we've gone we've known of some who've gone under because of their energy costs so we've got a fantastic European funded project, which is in its sixth year, and sadly will stop because of the end of European funding, which is a tragedy in itself. But we've been able to help about 500 SMEs with free energy surveys, energy advice, and then grant funding to do the main things that will tackle their carbon emissions. And that's been really, really popular. And I think probably the other thing that's important is the strategic partnership work. So recognising, which is one of my mantras, that we can't do this alone. And it's important to work with Durham University, the NHS Acute Trust and Northern Power Grid, you know, the water, the big companies and so on. And quite a lot of my time particularly is spent talking to them, working with them, sitting on their steering groups and they sit on our steering group so that we're literally all working together in a strategic partnership 
And we're doing similar stuff across the council where we also have a, a net zero board that hopefully brings together all the directors. I mean, I could talk for hours, but that's a sort of quick whistle-stop tour through some of the things that we're doing. Unless you want another one, I'd better stop. We said it was a busy team, Maggie. I think that really demonstrates why it's a busy team. There's so much going on. But what I'd like to do, if possible, is just pick on a couple of things there. And really, if you could expand a bit more on the business energy efficiency program and also the energy and water consumption management schemes that you're working on. Yes. Business energy efficiency program, or BEEP for short. So we've done BEEP 1 and BEEP 2. And we've got a small team of people employed in the council who are in my team who are technical experts who are able to go out, look at a building. We're increasingly including community buildings as well. Under the European funding regulations, the, we can only look at businesses that are actually trading. So a lot of community buildings aren't trading organisations. So that's been a challenge. And we also couldn't do farms and agriculture and forestry and stuff because of rules and regulations. But basically, we go out to these businesses, do a survey of the building, their premises, their processes, what they're actually doing. Often they're in rented premises, so there are limitations on what can be done. And we provide an advisory report that says, we think you could do this, this, this and this. It will cost you X. And then we can provide a grant. We've tried to steer the grant towards funding the highest carbon savings. So something like window replacement sadly doesn't pay back for a long time and carbon savings are quite low. Things like LED lighting, very quick payback and very effective. We've helped quite a few switch to electric vehicles. And we've actually got a try-before-you-buy scheme where we've bought four electric vans. We loan them out for free for a few weeks to businesses that are thinking about going electric so they can get to try them. They just have to pay for the insurance and stuff. That's been very successful. So we've had some great feedback and businesses have actually said this has helped them to survive when they wouldn't have done otherwise. The funding ends at the end of March 2023, so we're very nearly at the end of BEEP. And we're going to run BEEP 3. Well, somebody said it should be called BEEP 0 because it's towards net zero. And we will be much more flexible because we can help whoever we want, whatever the rules are. So I think community organisations... Millions of churches wanting support, but yeah, how do you decarbonise a church building, for example? And some of our partner organisations as well, we want to work with them. So we are in the middle at the moment of reinventing BEEP without the paperwork that came with the European funding, but also sadly without the grants, because European funding enabled us to give grants for practical works, and we don't have that money anymore. So it's going to be much more about giving advice and hoping people will follow it. It's going to be a different model, more difficult to run, but hopefully successful, more of the same. I would suggest that the fact that you're prepared to run BEEP 3 anyway really is testimony to the success of BEEP 1 and BEEP 2. So that in itself is good news. And what else in terms of the biggest challenges do you think you currently face, Maggie? Ooh, I think one of the challenges for us that's come up quite recently I've always, I'm talking now about the council's emissions, and I've always been able to sell pretty much everything that we do in terms of financial cost saving. We're spending a fortune on energy, and if we put in these renewable energy or energy efficiency retrofit measures, we will save a lot of money. And that has been very successful, and we've sort of become quite popular. You know, the council's very proud of what we've been doing because we have helped save a lot of money. Now I think we're reaching a point 
even though energy costs have gone up, where particularly heat, and I would say sustainable heat is our biggest challenge. If you switch from gas, which is very cheap, to electric heating, for example, air source heat pumps and so on, quite often it can actually cost more. And it's very, very, very difficult to sell that. That's not popular message. It's not something our councillors are going to be keen on. So that's one where we are definitely challenged. I think the constant change in government energy policy or lack of energy policy, and I mean, the stories over the, over the years, the famous ones of the loss of fit and the sudden stopping onshore wind and you know, have they got a policy, have they not policy, but we're always running to catch up. And that's, that's a challenge. Another one would be still on the council here that we've got this huge portfolio of about 800 buildings ranging from tiny toilets to huge depots and council offices and all sorts of buildings. Very broad portfolio, very different ages. Some of them are old and listed. Some of them are brand new, not necessarily very efficient. Each one needs its own unique approach. And when you get in there, there's usually a whole series of things that you didn't realise. Oh, God, there's asbestos in the walls. We didn't know that. Or whatever. So the other thing there as well is that the buildings we're retaining are always under review. And obviously, post-pandemic, everybody's looking at how many office spaces do we still need? People are working from home. Can we reduce? Schools are closing. Can we keep libraries open? Can we keep leisure centres open? Because the financial costs are so great. So... We are also hampered by, we look at a building and think, oh, that's using a lot of energy, it's expensive, we can tackle that one. And then somebody says, yeah, but we might not be keeping it. We might have it for the next two or three years, but if the payback is 10 years, that's still going to be very difficult to work on. So that is a sort of constant challenge for us. I think the just transitions, well, fairness and equity, as I say, we've got huge problems with deprived communities, ex-mining communities, scattered around rural area with a lot of urban problems in the rural isolated settlements so how to make things fair as i said with electric vehicles for example but with everything we need to make sure that we're looking after our population people are struggling with poverty and food banks they don't necessarily see climate change as a top priority but of course we know that the climate continues to change it will be top priority for all of us and finally i guess the cost of all of these initiatives. We've been really lucky. I said we've got massive political commitment, real strong support for what we're doing. So when the council declared a climate emergency, they also gave my team three million pounds to spend across other departments, and it could be countywide or council initiatives to enable us to sort of jumpstart projects and initiatives that we wanted to do. They even put it in all our job descriptions. Everyone must have regard to climate change, whatever your job is, anywhere across the council. But nevertheless. Projects are expensive, and if they involve other organisations, then it's not just a question of us putting the money in, it's a question of everyone else finding the money as well. So those are just some of the challenges. I'm sure I can come up with 50 more if you want, but that probably summarises some of the key ones at the moment. Yeah, and as I think with some of the other podcasts we've done, Maggie, there's some themes that emerge there, particularly the cost of energy. We talked about that when we did a podcast with Simon Bork about the implications on health and the massive reliance on energy and the costs and how moving away from gas is not easy. So we recognise some of those. So 
How have you found the solutions to those challenges, Maggie? And as we say, are there any you haven't been able to solve? And I'm sure <laughs> there are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly that, that current one, the, the cost of energy and the cost of sustainable heat. There, I don't think there is a magic bullet. I mean, we are very interested in mine water heat for some, at least. And that's certainly something worth exploring. But yeah, but just transition as well. Those are my current sort of wicked issues, the ones I was just explaining. And we usually do one of, I've got a bit of a trademark, so I find out what the rules are and then I'll go around them or under them or through them or some, so avoid them. Because generally, if you follow the rules, things will take forever and decision making can take a very long time. But you have to be flexible, you have to work with other people in other departments, in other organisations and tackle these problems in whatever way. And I think recognise that there's not a rule book, there's not a handbook for any of this. This is all stuff that we're kind of, we're inventing policy as we go along, we're doing it on the hoof. And that sort of flexibility and inventiveness, I think, is very, very important. And tenacity, no doubt as well, Maggie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the point you mentioned in there, I think, which... I'm fascinated to hear about, and you've you've mentioned that just then, is the geothermal heat. It's been described as perhaps a legacy of low carbon, is the legacy, I should say, of coal. And Durham is playing a huge part in harnessing the geothermal energy from the abandoned mines. I understand the collaboration with the Coal Authority and yourselves has been in the news recently, talking about Seam Garden Village. So it's an interesting project. RPS ourselves were lucky enough to be involved with it in its early stages for the utility infrastructure planning. Could you explain to us what the project is and how it came about? Yes, the fundamental concept is that we are, the whole country and certainly County Durham is riddled with mines. Trillions of man-hours, and it wasn't nearly all men. Man-hours digging out these tunnels under the ground. You would never, ever, ever do something like that now starting from scratch those tunnels are there and they're there to remove the coal and bring it up as a resource and then they're left empty and gradually the mines fill up with water once you stop pumping them out and that water of course is quite warm it can be anywhere from sort of 12 degrees up to 20 degrees uh the deeper the deeper mines obviously are warmer those tend to be for us the ones out towards the coast which is where seam is and we've realized for a while that there's a resource there in terms of heat it's a challenging resource because the water is also heavily polluted. And actually, mine water pollution is a big challenge in itself because if it gets up to the surface, it pollutes the waterways in a very serious way. It's kind of orange or white scummy stuff, really, really unpleasant and nothing can grow. But if you can find ways of taking the heat, then you've got a resource which hopefully can be replenished forever. And we went over to Haarlem in the Netherlands and saw a scheme where they've got a district heating scheme Using mine water, it's been going for years and years, highly successful. So we came back and we said, well, we can do that here. And Seam is out towards the coast. It's important because there and in a couple of other sites, the water is already pumped up the surface because of the risk to the drinking water aquifers. So because it's already pumped up and treated, that means the heat is just dissipated. It's just wasted. We did look at a scheme elsewhere where we were going to drill in fact, we did do an exploratory drill into, it was for a leisure centre, which was right by a disused pit. And we drilled down and the water was there and it, it was hot enough to use. But the costs were high and we weren't able to take that project forward. We may revisit it at some point. 
But that's because we had to drill. And there's an issue, you know, if drilling was cheaper, if it becomes economies of scale. But CM, we worked with the developers, as you said, the coal authority. Government's been very supportive on this one. It's a new development of social and private housing. And the plan is that there will be mine water as the heat source for this development. So the CM Garden Village, if it happens, will be, and it's looking good, will be the first mine water district heating scheme to be done in the UK. So we're very excited about it. And we're looking at a couple of other areas as well where mine water is pumped to the surface at the moment. And we're looking at things like agriculture, because there are other, if you've got free heat, free warm water, but it's not hot enough to heat the houses as it is, you've obviously got to have a little heat pump scheme or whatever, but there's tremendous potential. So very exciting area indeed. That's fascinating. Sounds fantastic. And I'm sure there are many other areas across the country where that technology and new technology can be applied. So I'm sure other people will be interested in beating the path to your door. Yeah, we think it could be something as much as ambitiously, possibly a third of the, of the country has got mines underneath. Or that's maybe a little over ambitious, but we'll see. No, definitely. So you've been quoted, Maggie, as saying, and hopefully this is true, we've only got a few years left. We haven't got time for competition anymore. We've all got to work together. So how widespread do you think collaboration is in practice? Well, I mean, first of all, it's absolutely true. We are hurtling towards a global catastrophe. We're our eyes wide open going, nah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Oh dear, it's a bit expensive, we can't be doing that. And I'm appalled by governments across the world and the lack of action. And I just, I feel in despair. I mean, having been campaigning since 1985 when I set up the campaign group, to have got here and for it to be so bad, when we knew right back then, and it became become obvious now that Exxon have known since the 1970s how bad this is going to be, and nobody's done anything about it. And now we are at the crisis turning point. It's not quite too late. It's like five seconds to midnight, but it's very nearly too late. And if we all work saying, oh, I've got a good idea, my name on that one, I'll see if we can get some grant funding, we'll do it. We won't tell anybody else because I want to get the credit. If we do that, we're screwed. We all need to save the planet, all of us working together. And things like these competitive funds from government where local authorities have to fight each other to get the money, they're not helpful at all because we all need to be doing what we each can in our own sectors. And to my mind, partnership, collaboration, cooperation are absolutely at the fundamental heart of what we need to do. And it's very, very close to, well, to my heart, I'm, I'm passionate about it. We've had some great results from working across so many sectors. Yeah, we've got friends and colleagues in all these other organisations. We've got chief executives and vice chancellors personally, actively supporting what we do and what their organisations do. And yes, it's piecemeal. There are areas I know that struggle. There are people who want to make their own name. Politicians are terrible for this. Not ours, but politicians elsewhere. And they will keep something quiet so they get the credit. And by the time it all happens, it's kind of too late. We need to learn from each other. We need to learn from each other's mistakes as well, because I believe me, I could write a book of the things we've done wrong. And it's like, oh, don't mention that because you got it wrong. But we need to, because we need to make sure that nobody else makes the same mistake that we did. And we should be very generous in sharing our learning and the things that went wrong between all local authorities, but also between all the other public sector organisations. I know it's more difficult the private sector because you have to make a profit. And for me, that's 
quite a challenge because, again, we haven't got time. We haven't got time for competition. So, yeah, I have been quoted as saying that, and I'll say it again. We have very little time left, and we have to work together. There's no time to compete. There you go. Uh, some powerful stuff in there, Maggie. Yeah, profit is not always a bad thing, but I think partnership is definitely the key. It's how you do things and uh, how you approach things. So, yeah, you spot on, Maggie. But I suppose what that also leads us back to is from those early campaigning days to nearly 30 years with the council. There's obviously a lot you'll have seen. We've heard a lot of that. But what approaches or lessons do you think you could share with the audience that you found to be particularly effective? I've been asked that before, and my answer is always chocolate biscuits. probably less true actually now we have zoom and teams but we used to bring people in from organizations and other departments to have meetings and we'll sit and talk through things often quite difficult things and i found that if you made people a cup of tea or coffee and had a plate of nice chocolate biscuits that you could all share it's again it's the heart at the fundamental heart is saying look we're all friends we're all in this together we're working together so it's a kind of a metaphor for me, chocolate biscuits. I don't even eat that many chocolate biscuits, but my God, I eat a lot of chocolate, believe me. It's about, I suppose, being friendly, open, trusting, maybe a bit naive sometimes, but I prefer that than the other way. Recognising that others feel passionately about this, but they don't always know what to do. I think also, and it's that same spirit of collaboration, it's important to recognise that Different organisations work in different ways and they have different bottom lines, different things they need to achieve. And for a council, we need to achieve the best outcomes for our population. For private sector business, you have to make the profit. You have to please your shareholders. So for a university, it's the number of research papers they've had published. So it's important to recognise what the outcomes are that each organisation you're working with needs, or even each department needs, and trying to work to each other's strengths, recognise who can do what best and who will struggle with particular things. And there's no point going to some organisation saying, oh, will you do this for free because it's a nice thing to do? Because they're going to say, you can't do that, where somebody else can. So, yeah, chocolate biscuits, that's the answer. Okay, I won't ask you what particular type of chocolate biscuits, Maggie, because that will go down another particular (laughs) rabbit hole. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So here's a big one now, Maggie, and this is the nub of it all. How realistic do you think it is hitting the targets? That is the biggie, isn't it? Sometimes I feel total despair because, as I said earlier, having been campaigning since 1995 and studying this since the mid-1980s, it's very disheartening to see how slowly things are progressing. But they are. I think somebody said, and I can't remember who it was, but credit to them, that most of the technology that we need is already out there. We know how to do this. We know what we need to do. We need the political commitment and we need the money. And it's not yet too late. Certainly by 2030, if we haven't got there, we're struggling. and We're already seeing populations displaced because of climate change. Look, I'm an optimist. I always have been an optimist. If it's not over till the fat lady sings, and if she's not singing, then it's not over yet. And everything turns out in the end, turns out right in the end. So if it's not all right, it's not the end. There you are. There's a very trite sayings, but we need to do everything we can. We need to keep working. We need to get together. Everybody needs to do the bit that they can. And it isn't too late yet. We can do it, but I don't think it's easy. Thanks, Maggie. I admire optimism. Better to be half full than half empty. <laughs> So 
Just one last question for you, Maggie. Many of our audience are in roles where they've been tasked to achieve net zero carbon targets across large property estates. What's the one piece of advice you would give them? Oh, I think be flexible, be passionate, be realistic, be friendly, give them chocolate biscuits. Yeah, recognise where people are coming from. Recognise that it will always be challenging. Every single building you do is never going to go textbook as you plan it. So flexibility is very, very important. Being ready to shift and work with others. Nobody will ever have all the knowledge. I certainly don't. And yeah, just keep going. Tenacity, I think, was the word you used. Passion and tenacity, really important. Absolutely. And something else you've got, Maggie, bundles of energy, I would say. I'm not so sure anymore. I think I'm about to keel over, but there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, Maggie, that's been a fantastic insight. I'm genuinely impressed, and I think listeners will be as well, with the breadth and scale of what you're doing and what you're achieving. It's been a fascinating discussion. We've covered an awful lot. I'd just like to say thank you very much for your time and also best of luck and success to you and your team in the future. Fantastic. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, I'll pass on the best wishes. Thank you. Building Sustainably, the Road to Net Zero podcast is brought to you by RPS. To find out more about RPS and how we can help your organization achieve its net zero targets, visit rpsgroup.com. And then make sure to search for Building Sustainably, the Road to Net Zero in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at RPS, thanks for listening.